Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Glad you guys are here. Hope you're enjoying spring break and hanging out with family and getting some time with them. Um, we've been in a series uh, for the past two weeks. This will be our third week called Non-Negotiables. Talking about really what, what, are the, what is the foundation of the Christian faith, of our faith, what it is. And we've been going through Hebrews 6, 1. And it says this, Hebrews 6, 1 says, Therefore, let us not leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation. Okay, these are the things that it, it doesn't change. These are the things that we can build our life on, that we can build on. It's, it's not, we don't negotiate this, that, or the next thing, which really, when you think about compromise, think about this for just a second. If one person wants to do this, the other person wants to do this, and then they compromise, what is that? That's lose-lose, because nobody gets what they want. So I don't really see the point in that anyways. I'm like, why compromise? At least let somebody win. But back to this. So this is foundational. This is the stuff that we don't negotiate. It's not, well, if you're kind of off, but this is the things that we can build our life on. The foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God and verse 2 says, instructions about baptisms, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. It's really implied that we have to get this right before we can go on. I think this is, this is fundamental as far as it is foundational in our, in our faith, as well as fundamentalism. We can't go beyond it until we build and until we have a firm foundation in these areas. So this week, we're going to talk about baptism. We're talking about baptisms. And in the first week, we had you underline that. If you've got your Bible, I'm sure you do, something. Underline that word baptism. Because baptisms, because it is plural. See, most of us, we're familiar with water baptism. Um, depending on what background you have, you're, you're very familiar with being baptized in water. But as Christians... That's what we do, and we're going to talk to you a little bit of the, the why and what that is to represent. So first thing we do is we're going to read Matthew 3.11. As you're turning there in your Bibles, we're going to go through a lot, a lot more Scripture than we normally would. And the reason why is, is your foundation shouldn't be on, well, this person said this and it made sense, so I believe it, but it should be on the Word of God. So we're going to, we're going to be going through quite a bit of Scripture so that as we do this, you say, yeah, okay, I know why. Not because Samuel said something that was funny and made sense that one time and I could never repeat it that same way ever again, but because that's what the word of God says. So we're gonna look at that. Matthew chapter three, verse 11. Now this is John the Baptist talking. He says, I baptize, baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So there's two types of, of baptism. There's water baptism and there's baptism in the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist just separated the two there. That there's two types, water baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to jump and we're going to jump to Romans. And in Romans chapter 6, it talks about baptism and what this is to symbolize, what this is supposed to mean. And I, I take a lot of interest in this. I have I, we, Becca and I, we have four kids. Our oldest is eight. Um, her name is Avery. She's an absolute riot. Spunk, crazy little thing that just like bounces off the walls. Like that's Avery. And then there's Molly, who's seven. And she's very meticulous about everything 
and it's, it's super, super cute, but she's completely different. But both of them want to be baptized. And they've been saying that they want to be baptized for, for a little while now, but one thing I wanted to make sure is that they understand what it is. And I think you're gonna understand a little, a little bit more why as we read through this. See, Romans 6.1 says this. It says, what shall we sin and Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. Now we can live in it. Can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us, ready, who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism. So underline that, highlight that, circle that. Through baptism, we were buried with Christ. That's what it says. Unto death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism is a symbol, and it is to represent what happens in, in, in a real visual way and something that we can experience what happens on the inside of us when we get saved. Baptism is as this verse is, it just says it in Romans, it is a burying of the old men so that we can live anew. Second Corinthians, isn't it? Yeah, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature or a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. And that's what baptism is. It is to represent that you are, you're, you're dead. The old you does not even exist anymore. It does not, it, it's gone. So through baptism, that is to symbolize we go down underwater just like we bury a body. And we're burying you but in water. And then you come back. And that is, again, to represent our new life in Christ. And I want my girls to know what that is about. To not just think, hey, it's really fun. Look at other people that are getting baptized and how happy they are and how moved they are and how people are clapping for them and excited for them and think, well, people could be excited for me. I want them to understand because a symbol is only as powerful as you let it be. A symbol has power because we give it meaning. I was in Venezuela on a missions trip and we were running around as a team. There was maybe 40 of us from the States that had gone down to Venezuela. And we're running around. And amongst ourselves, we'd see something that was really cool. We're looking out and there's monkeys jumping all over the place. And there's just cool stuff to see and this, that. So we'd be pointing at things over here. And we're like, hey, did you see that over there? And after like day one, they got us all together. And they're like, hey, we got to let you guys know something. You know how you guys are pointing at, at, at stuff and at people and at each other? We're like... Yeah? They're like, you can't do that. And I'm like, just did. <laughs> Why? Like, like, what do you mean I can't do that? They're like, well, here, that has a different meaning than in the States. And the, the leaders that were telling us this kind of looked out. They're like, this is not, no, no one is understanding this. And he said, well, let me put it a different way. Actually, it was his wife. His wife goes, let me explain it to you. In the States, is it okay to wave at somebody with just one finger? And everyone's like, no, 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 that's not okay. And she goes, here, pointing at somebody is the, is the equivalent of that. You're saying, beep, some four-letter word thing to, to somebody by pointing at them. The way that in the States, you would 
Wave with the one finger, flick them off, whatever you call it. And we're all like, oh, what are we supposed to do? And they're like, oh, you do this. You, you point with your nose. You go, oh, them, them, them right there. Where? Over there, right there. And we're like, really? Like, yeah, that, that's, that's how you do it. So for the rest of the trip, we had to stop doing this and be like, yeah, over there. Where's the, the bus is that way. And it's like, put your hands in your pockets. But it was a symbol. And to them, it meant something that it did not mean to me. I just thought, oh, it's that person right there. And it makes it really clear. Well, baptism is, the Bible says, it is a symbol. And I want to make sure that my girls understand the power that that symbol has. The meaning behind the symbol before they participate in the act itself. So they say, yeah, I know what that meant and what that means to me. I know exactly what that is. I'm pumped. We've been talking to them about it, and they're ready. And so the next time we do baptisms, they're going to be doing that. And they've been answering. They're like, yeah, this is what it means. And they're understanding it. And I'm super excited. But it's because they understand the meaning. See, Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through our faith, in the power of God who raised him from the dead. That is what water baptism is. It's just saying, my old self is dead. I'm brand new. It represents what's happened spiritually, so we can see it. It was down and back up. It is a symbol. And that's why it's foundational to our faith. Because it is to represent the fact that when we become Christians, that it is brand new. Forgetting the past, forget, hold, on, hold on to that, identifying about what we used to be and used to have and this, that, and the next thing and what we did or didn't do or what happened to us and identifying it. No, behold, all things have become new. It is a bearing and a literal resurrecting of us. They were resurrected with Christ. That's why this is foundational to our faith. It's not just a neat thing that you do. Oh, you get really wet. That's great. No, it is to remind us that it is brand new and that we are not held on, that that old self, those old things, those old habits, that old identity, all of that stuff is gone and that we are now new in Christ Jesus. That is, that is the what. And as we follow and we look, that's what Jesus said we should do. Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. God's like, this, this is a symbol, this is something we should all be doing. He didn't say, he said, go and baptize people. Go and do it, make disciples, baptizing them. It is a symbol for Believers, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I just, I just touched a button. Where did it all go? Seriously, I touched some crazy, crazy button. This is why tech is not fun. It just jumped all over the crazy, all over the crazy place. All right, we're gonna go up a little bit further. We'll just go right here. So let's turn to this. First Peter, that's where we just were. Aha, here we go. First Corinthians eleven one. Paul said this. 
when it comes to our life, who do we look at? We look at Jesus and we try to be imitators of him. Paul said, follow my example as I follow Christ. But that's what we're to do. Jesus gave us an example, even though he was the son of God, that he came and he was baptized. He was baptized. Jesus was baptized. He was baptized, he was put in water. Mark chapter one, verse 10 says, as Jesus was coming up out of the water. That's why we, we dunk you. We don't just take a hose and spray a whole bunch of people at once. We don't take super soakers and go, that might be fun. We're like, no, we're gonna dunk you. Why? Because we wanna do what the Bible did. We wanna do what Jesus did. Matthew chapter three, verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened up and he saw the spirit of God descending on him like a dove and lightning on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It says, as he came out of the water. And Jesus was baptized as an adult when he could understand the power of baptism. It was a, something that he then did. Um, I think that infant baptism is something that I would, I would consider more along the lines of parents dedicating their child to the Lord, saying, you know, we want to do them, we're gonna do everything we can to raise him or her in the knowledge of God and we, we want to do that, but as a, as a baby, you can't make a decision. You don't know what it means. You cannot for yourself say, I want to do this. You're not making that choice for yourself. So if you're an individual who's here and you say, you know, I was, as a baby, is that something I need to continue to do? I would encourage you to. Because if you're sitting here, you're probably old enough to make that decision, to see and to understand. And because I understand it, now I wanna act a specific way or a particular way. Maybe you've heard a little kid missay the word fire truck or just truck. Doesn't know how to say it. So he says it wrong. And instead it sounds like a four letter word. But because he's so little and innocent, he doesn't know what he's saying. It's almost funny. You're like, oh my goodness, I gotta make sure I don't laugh because he's gonna say it again. Because if he sees me laughing, he knows it's funny, he'll do it. But he doesn't understand it. Because he doesn't understand it, he doesn't know if he says it, if it's good or bad or what meaning it has or anything of the kind. And so there, are, there, there can be things that, yes, as a, as a child you were water baptized, but as an adult, that same kid grows up and says those words, it has meaning all of a sudden. And you're like, wait, why are you doing that? What's, why? Is there, is there meaning behind it? Are you upset? So as an adult, I think it is important for us to say, okay, now that I understand what this means, do I want to make a choice to do this? To choose to die to my old, to let the old die and to be resurrected with Christ. To allow that to be that, to represent that in our lives. To be that point that we look back at. To look at what the Bible, what Jesus did and said, if he did it, he did it. He did it as an adult. He did it in water. He was, he came out of the water. That I want to do the same thing, the same way that he did. You know, there are things that we, that we do. We say, you know what? I want to do it because the Bible says so. I want to do that. Whenever we talk about baptism, somebody mentions or asks, usually asks something along these lines. Do I have to be baptized to go to heaven? So we're going to look at what Luke says in Luke 23, verse 39. Because anytime we can, let's let Jesus answer the question. He's a lot smarter than us, right? So we're looking at Luke 23, 39. 
And this is where Jesus is hanging on the cross. The two thieves are there with him. And it says this, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, him being Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. He said, do you, don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. I think it's crazy that the guy's about to die and he knows it. And he's still just mocking Jesus. And the other one, he realizes, I am about to die. Verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And verse 43, Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't say, hey, you could get in, but I can't reach over there to baptize you, so you're just not gonna make it, I'm sorry. He didn't say, Peter, quickly, John, disciple that I love, splash some water on that guy so he can make it. No, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And that tells me this, baptism is not a requirement for salvation. The Bible says that God is not a respecter of person. So it's not a requirement, but it's something that we are told to do. It says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and you will be saved. That's how it is done. It's we make that decision. We believe in our heart, we confess it with our mouth and that is the time we make that decision that it's up to us to live that out the rest of our lives. To say, I made that decision then but it's not like jumping off a cliff, unfortunately, where you jump off one time and you're like, well, I'm gonna hit the bottom, it's done. I did it, I jumped off the cliff. Instead, it's I'm gonna live this way. So we make that decision and then we walk that out in our everyday life. Decisions come up and we say, am I gonna choose God's way or am I gonna choose my way? What does God's word say? Am I gonna submit to that in my life? Because that's really what it is. When we make Jesus our savior, that's what we're doing. We're saying, God, you are the Lord of my life. You're the Lord of my decisions. You're the Lord of it all. I submit it all to you. I'm not gonna just do what I think is best. I'm not gonna just submit one area of my life to you. I'm giving you the entire thing. I'm giving you absolutely all of it. When we make Jesus the Lord of our life, it's done. It's not a matter of, okay, now you have to do this. However, it's given for us to remember, to look, and to realize that's when I died. And it's all new now. I don't have to be bound to those things from the past. I don't have to be bound to any of that. I think each and every Christian should most definitely, definitely be baptized and be baptized as an adult when you make the decision when you made the decision to say, yes, I want that, I understand it, and I want that in my life. I wanna look back at that, I want that symbol, and I understand what that means. But then it says this, it was baptisms, that's two. So let's jump and let's spend just the remainder of our time together talking about the latter part of this, which is baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is the fun one. I guess they're both fun, but I like this one more. This is the funner one. We'll say it that way. John, chapter 16, verse seven says this. But I tell you the truth. This is Jesus talking. He says, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. I think Jesus was excited to send the Holy Spirit. I really do. 
He says, it's for your good that I'm gonna go. It's, it's gonna be better. Or what some of your translations will say, it is better that I go. He says, for unless I go away, the counselor will not come, but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus was excited to send the Holy Spirit. He goes, it's better that I go so that this guy, so that the Holy Spirit can come. Remember, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. When he was baptized, that was the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. So Jesus had the Holy Spirit. But it isn't something that happens automatically in our lives. See, Acts 8, verse 14 says this. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, that people there had become Christians, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. Just because you're saved, just because you say, you know what, yes, I've made a decision to live for God, it does not mean that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit has happened in your life. That's definitely, that's evident right here. Verse 16 said, the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts 19 and we'll start in verse one. They found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? There he found some of the disciples and asked them. They answered, no, we had not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Verse three. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? Because it's a baptism in the Holy Spirit. John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was of repentance. And he told the people to believe in the one that was coming after him. That is in Jesus Christ. Verse five, on hearing this, the people were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. They hadn't heard that there even was a Holy Spirit. Maybe you grew up in that church where you did not hear that there was a Holy Spirit. But the Bible says that it's there and that it's not something that happens automatically. The Bible says, seek and you will find, not ask and you'll receive, knock and the door will be opened. There are things that we do not have because we do not ask. And the Holy Spirit is one of them. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our life is found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And it says, but you will receive power. This is the Amplified. It says, ability, effectiveness, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and the Samaria and the ends of the world. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Luke 24, 49, I'm gonna send you what my father has promised. This is Jesus talking. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He told his disciples, you go to this, you stay in the city until you have received the Holy Spirit and the power that comes as a result. If we look at Peter, before and after the Holy Spirit, you can see a huge difference in his life. Peter, when Jesus is taken He's taken by the, by the guards and he's brought to Pilate. 
And, and Peter kind of follows from a distance. And he's confronted by a little girl, a servant girl. And the servant girl says, weren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he goes, no, no, not me. I wasn't, not at all. No, no, whoa, you got the wrong guy. She comes back and he's like, I said no. Finally, she comes back a third time. And Peter's like, beep, no, that wasn't me. And he, he cusses, emphatically saying, this was not me. That is not me. Then we fast forward. Jesus dies, he's resurrected, he appears to the disciples, he comes, he sees them, he talks with them, he tells them to go into Jerusalem and to wait until the Holy Spirit falls on him. And Peter does, they go, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And then, well, let's read it. Let's read this. So, Acts 2, verse 14. Now Peter is full of the Holy Spirit. And they're, they're speaking in tongues and people are like, hey, what is going on? Some of us are hearing you speak in our native tongue and you're, you're saying the wonders of God and how, how, can, how can this be? And people are like, they're drunk. That's all this is. They're just a bunch of drunk, weird people. <laughs> but it, Matthew 26, 74. No, that's the wrong one. Acts 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11 disciples he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. This is, not, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he goes from a little girl, goes, aren't you one of the disciples? And he goes, no, no I'm not, I'm not. To in front of a crowd of people jumping up and saying, no, hold, hold, everybody look at me, look at me. Let me tell you exactly what this is. There was a huge change in him. There was a boldness that was not there before. A boldness that was not there was most definitely evident in Peter's life. And the Bible says, and you will receive power. You'll receive boldness when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You ever, I don't know, I, I describe it this way. That there's times when the Holy Spirit leads you and it's kind of like, you might think this is kind of a weird way to describe it, but if you're a dad, a mom or a dad, and you see somebody hurting your kids, and you just, you get that whole like, oh, what is it, what was that? And mom's ready to take on a bear or whatever is about to hurt her kids. She's just like, well, something rises up in her, and it doesn't matter how meek, mild, 90 pounds soaking wet she was, somebody's about to hurt her kids. And she stands up and is like, what? And just turns into this fierce machine. We're like, whoa, wait a minute. Where something on the inside of you rises up and you have a boldness that was not there before. You have something that was not, that isn't a normal part of you. That you're not like, that. That's, that's, that's just, this is not how I normally interact. But Peter, all of a sudden, stands up with boldness in front of all of these people. And that's how I would describe it personally, where all of a sudden you're like, wait a second. No, I know the answer to this. This isn't right, and this is what we're going to say. That is a boldness that comes through the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, verse 31. After they prayed, they placed their hands, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. After they were filled with the Holy Spirit, there was a boldness that they did not have before. It's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. 
The Holy Spirit gives us what to say. It helps us when we do not know what to say. Acts chapter 6, verse 9. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of, of what is that, Crinangi? And Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, verse 10, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. It was his wisdom as well as the spirit by which he spoke because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us when we do not know what to say. I think the more popular result or benefit to the Holy Spirit would be speaking in tongues, which 1 Corinthians 12, 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are they all teachers, do they all the miracles, do they all speak in tongues, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. The speaking in tongues is something that we can all do and that we should desire it. Again, many of us do not have because we do not ask. That's James 4, 2. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 says this, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons and they will speak in tongues. See, speaking in tongues is supernatural. Acts 2, verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Speaking in tongues is communicating directly with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 28, if there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in church and speak to himself and to God. This is talking about speaking in tongues, that we speak to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, he who speaks in tongues edifies himself. That It is a gift that's given us the ability to speak directly to God, to build ourselves up, and that is speaking in tongues. There's two baptisms, and it is vitally important, so much so that Paul says this is the foundation. It's understanding that you, the, the old you is dead and you're raised again brand new. That was your funeral that we just had. It was in the water and back. That was your funeral. The old you is gone. And the other is the power and the benefits that come through the Holy Spirit. He says, this is so foundational. You need to get this before you go on to anything else. Don't go through life walking around with just one leg. You can have two. It doesn't make sense. He says, the Holy Spirit is there. And Jesus says, the helper, the comforter will not come unless I go. But I will go and I will send him. It's so important that we need to get and to understand this. And I think that going through life as a Christian without the Holy Spirit is similar to that one-legged hop when all you have to do is put that leg down. The Bible says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. God has given us so, so much. And there's so much more that the Holy Spirit enables us to do and partners with us. But we miss out on what we don't ask for. It's just like salvation. Salvation is available to every single person on the planet. Every one of them. But not everyone will receive it. Not everyone will. Would you guys bow your heads and would you close your eyes?
I wanna make sure that every single person here knows beyond a shadow of a doubt where you are gonna go when you die. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven. And more than that, you know that you're forgiven and set free from your past and begin to walk in the peace that comes only through a relationship with God. The Bible calls it the peace that passes all understanding. So if you do not know where you would go if you were to die, or if you say, you know, there was a time that, yeah, I, I, I was a Christian and I know it, but, but I'm not anymore. I've, I've turned my back. I've walked far, far from God. See, the Bible says this. It says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we will be saved. So that's how we come to him. And if you're in that first group, then tonight you can know. We can pray and you can leave here knowing me on a shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven. But if you say, I'm the one that, that turned and I'm gone, the Bible also says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness of whatever it is. So if you are one or two, you can leave here tonight knowing that you're on your way to heaven, being completely forgiven and set free from the guilt and shame of your past, and being to walk in the peace that comes through a relationship with him. If you're either of those, and on the count of three, I want you to shoot up your hand as high as you can. And in doing that, you're saying, I wanna be set free. I wanna know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm on my way to heaven. I wanna walk in that peace that he has for me. You already won, shoot it up really high so that I can see it. And you can leave here knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt. Only another day waiting, wondering, but you can know. Two, ready? Three, shoot it up right now. Say, that's me and I want that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Who else? Says, I want that. I want to be in a shadow of a doubt that I'm on my way to heaven. I'm not leaving here until I do. Anyone else? There's another one and another one. Awesome. All right, why don't you put those hands down? And let's just do this. Let's just get everybody, if you would just stand up with me right now. Stand up. And every one of you that raised your hand, I know that you meant business, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to grab the stuff that's around you. If there's a person that came with you, grab them too. And I want you to come right down here. And we're gonna pray together. When we leave here tonight, you're gonna be in a shadow of a doubt where you stand with God and begin to walk in that relationship with him. Come on down. There's one here. Good, good. Give them a hand as they're coming, as they're making their way out of their seats, as they're grabbing their stuff that they need. Come on down here. This is the most important decision that these people, that you will ever, ever make. And we are so excited to be a part of that with you. Come on. There's a couple more. Give them a hand. Coming from the back, come on. There's a party going on in heaven. The Bible says he rejoices when just one comes back. When just one. So come on up here so I can see a little closer, a little closer. Come on, I'm not gonna bite. Come here. All right. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we will be saved. And it doesn't work half the time. It works every single time. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray. And in fact, every one of us, we're all just gonna pray here with you. So just repeat after me, but as you say these words, make them your own, okay? Let's pray. Let's all pray together. Say, Jesus, forgive me and make me new. From now on, I'm gonna live for you. Thank you for dying for me, for shedding your blood so I could be free. From now on, Everything I am, everything I have is yours. And I will live for you from this day on. 
In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.